0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Lori Thomas for part one of their discussion on the importance of therapy for foster and adoptive families. Both books discussed in this podcast, The Jonathan Letters, and Attachment Theory in Action are available on TKCChaddock.org. Have you ever wondered how does attachment theory impact your clinical practice? Do you want to refine your clinical skills? Train with the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join Karen Doyle-Buckwalter and Josh Carlson for Attachment Theory in Action coming to a city near you. You'll leave with extensive knowledge and proven interventions to increase the impact of the great work you are already doing. Visit TKCChattuck.org to sign up for this two-day training in St. Louis on October 18th and 19th, or learn more about additional 2020 dates in Charlotte, Seattle, and Phoenix.
1: My guest on the podcast today is going to be Lori Thomas. Lori has an MA in professional counseling and is the author of the Jonathan Letters which was published in 2005, and co-authored with Michael Trout. It's a book about caring for and adopting a child with attachment disorder. She's also a contributing author to the Attachment Theory in Action book, Building Connections Between Children and Parents, which was published in 2018. She's an active advocate and public speaker on children's issues, and she's a mother of seven children, three through birth and four through adoption. She served on the board Board of Directors of the Association for Treatment and Training in the Attachment of Children for nine years. Lori's energy, knowledge, and warmth have made her a sought-after speaker for many groups involved with foster care and adoption. She lives in Northern Virginia with her husband, Paul, their youngest child, and two dogs. She completed her master's degree in professional counseling at Liberty University and is now a counselor in residency at Emmaus Family Counseling Center in Ashburn, Virginia, And I just know you're going to love the discussion I'm about to have with her. Well, hello, everybody. I am here again with the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Um, And today we are going to be speaking with my dear friend, dear colleague, uh, Lori Thomas. And... There's lots of things that are really special about Lori, but one thing uh, is that she's both a parent of um, adopted children and also a therapist, so that gives her a really unique perspective, and I shared a little bit about her formal background, but Lori herself is going to just share a little bit more informally about her background and how she comes to caring about attachment. Um, Lori also wrote a chapter for the Attachment Theory in Action book that was published, and it's called A Parent's Note to Therapist. And one of the things that I was thinking about, Lori, when I read this chapter again for our meeting today was, I think there's a lot, even if you're not working with parents and children, just as a therapist in general, uh, that is important for people to remember in this chapter. So I really feel like it has a wide application beyond uh, working with children and parents, even to just working with adults. I think there were some important points there. So I'm looking forward to this discussion and Lori, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself.
2: I'd be happy to, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that um, those thoughts on the chapter. So as, as you know, I, I'm very happy to be here, happy to be able to share this time with you. As, as I began my journey, I began like, I think a lot of therapists may, um, I've met several along, along the way, who started off as a parent and doing this work as a parent first. We took a, a, a foster child kind of unofficially back in the 1980s and that started our journey. And over the years, we became formal foster parents and then therapeutic foster parents. And we had a lot of placements over the years. We also adopted four of our children. And the first couple of adoptions, we we noticed some things about how they attached. And we weren't really trained, but just started doing some research and our own reading about what it was like for children to adjust to a new family. It wasn't until we in 2001, found ourselves parenting a child with significant challenges in his um, attachment, had significant trauma in his history that we realized we really needed to start looking into this more. So that's where my interest in attachment really peaked. Where I started, I was blessed to meet Michael Trout on that journey and that changed our world forever as anybody who knows Michael Trout knows that their life will be changed forever once they meet him. And he was able to provide wonderful insight for us on our parenting journey. And um, so that's really, that really changed our world, changed our world in a major way. I found the organization attached and started doing things with them, ended up on their board of directors. And so our parenting journey continued. Um, we ended up adopting once more following that. And so we are now the parents of seven children, and our children are now adopting children. So we're now the parents of seven children and the grandparents of 14 with a 15th on the way. And so attachment has become a big part of our family story, as well as um, a professional journey. So that's, that's where the interest began, it wasn't until we finished our career as foster parents that I went back to school, decided to do this as a profession and went back to school to get my master's and am now uh, practicing as a counselor in residency working with children with, um, with adoption, um, a lot of them with adoption histories, a lot of them with some, some challenges with their attachment patterns. Hmm.
1: Yes. So, uh, just to highlight uh, sharing about your interaction with Michael Trout, I would like to share with listeners uh, that the interactions that you guys had back and forth, which started out with a single email and then went on for an extended period of time, did become the book, the Jonathan Letters. Uh, so, I just wanted to to mention if anyone was, uh, we can mention it again at the end of the podcast, but if anyone was particularly interested in hearing the dialogue that you guys had back and forth. And Lori, something I've always appreciated so much about you among the many things since I adore you is your willingness to be vulnerable and looking at your own attachment history. Um, and we, we we will touch on that a little bit as we talk about this chapter that you wrote to therapists. Um, but I I think that that's so, so important. I don't know if you want to mention anything about that now before we move along, you can or,
2: or not. Well, I would, I would certainly um, be happy to add a little bit about that now. When we decided to become foster parents, we, my husband and I both had histories that included um, probably some, some less than ideal years in our childhoods. And so we both knew what it was like to be a child who really could use somebody to come alongside them. We decided to become foster parents partly because of that. Then when we started working with our own children and especially the children who had more significant challenges in their histories, I realized that um, the very person that I swore I would never be as a parent was starting to emerge in me. I, um, as I saw on a towel recently, I opened my mouth and my mother came out, and not the parts of my mother that I planned to use in my parenting strategies, but parts that I was not happy about. That's when I realized I really needed to actually get into therapy myself, do some work on my own history, and understand and develop what we call a coherent narrative, of course, and understand my history. The impact it was having on my parenting, and be able to see that in a way that was that made sense.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, so so important that we're willing as parents to look at that. You know, I had my granddaughter sleepover this weekend, and she was refusing to go to bed for over an hour and coming out of her room, and I got kind of frustrated and had a similar experience of like, oh you know, I really don't like the tone that <laughs> I'm, I'm turning into my mother now with my grandchild, you know, <laughs> thinking that uh, I have some of this under wraps, but, you know, it can still eke out under stress, can't it?
2: It can, and knowing better yeah. doesn't always negate that potential.
1: Yes, yes, So, but such an important, important piece. So now I'd like to ask you, I know you had some really good experiences with therapists uh, as you were trying to work with the children that you were bringing into your home as foster children and children you were uh, planning to adopt. But I know you had some really not so good experiences. And part of that was the impetus for this chapter, actually like, hey guys, really this is what I need you to know. Could you share for our listeners, and as I said, I think some of this is going to apply to therapists who work with any population. Could you share some of your thoughts about what wasn't helpful or didn't go so well or left you feeling really unheard?
2: Absolutely. Well, the first, the first thing that comes to mind was with a child who um, had had multiple placements was really struggling and we were really struggling as we tried to incorporate him into our family and the first therapist that we went to saying I will see the child alone I will not see the child with a parent and that I even though I didn't know much I just knew that that didn't feel right and so I explained myself that I really felt like it would be nice to do some work on the relationship and that I could really use the help in learning how to parent this child, and I really thought we should be in there together. And she explained that she had seen the child already for a few years, and so she wanted to continue the way she was. At that point, I, I just wondered why it was okay to continue as we were, because he wasn't making progress. So, um, so that, for so many reasons, that just didn't feel right. We ended up changing to a therapist that would see us together, which was just, I think, the first, the first step towards healing with that child, was to be able to do the work together. As a dyad, doing this work, it was, it was very important. There were a lot of other times, as we go through the points um, that we wrote in this chapter for therapists, about just not feeling heard explaining something and having a therapist saying, well, that's odd, I don't know what you're doing at home, but I don't see that here, so I don't understand that behavior, and just really not hearing what what we were sharing. Um, my husband would come sometimes, and we would just leave shaking our heads and scratching our heads and wondering what was wrong with us that um, I guess that we weren't getting it. We were We were really feeling like we weren't getting it, and um, we didn't feel like part of the team. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. And I think this idea of seeing children alone, I would not, and I'm sure you would agree, that it's not that that's never appropriate.
2: Right. Right.
1: Um, particularly depending on the age of the child. I think the older the child, the more likely there could be value to that. But if we're looking from an attachment-based perspective, then our client is the relationship. It's not the child and it's not the parent, but that interaction together is what we're looking at. And so I think, you know, it's hard to see that if you're only seeing the child alone Um, And then also, of course, the idea that if the parent is not working as a team with the therapist, I think what the therapist can do for 45 or 50 minutes in some separate session during the week is really small. I sometimes even say it's a drop in the bucket, especially for a child that has complex trauma where the overall environment is where healing is going to happen in that minute-to-minute caregiving relationship so I see what you're saying there but I think maybe uh, there's still quite a lot of parents maybe who are having that that experience and I think the other thing just go ahead you wanted to say something
2: well I think along those lines um, bringing the parents in as part of the team is an important thing as you said the the therapist in 45 minutes or an hour in a week per week um, needs to just be kind of a, a base for the work that's being done at home and so if the parent isn't being trained i, I guess to do that work at home then it seems pretty um, pretty pointless but on top of that the frustration that the parent might feel just even getting to therapy sometimes it's a real challenge And then to not feel heard can leave the parent just wondering if it was worth the effort to come in at all when they're not seeing that progress. So to be able to be heard, I agree that it's not always going to be appropriate to see the parent and child together. But when it is a work that's really trying to build that relationship, it sure is nice to be able to have the team and have that parent as part of the team.
1: Yes, and I think the other thing that you mentioned, Lori, was – a therapist saying, well, we're not seeing that behavior here. I'm not experiencing that with your child. I'm not noticing that with your child, which seems to be maybe a thinly veiled way of saying, maybe it's you. Right. Right. I think that that can feel like that to parents. And I think this comes up particularly with non-directive and child-centered play therapies where the child is given a lot of choice um, and the therapist follows the child's lead, then um, again, that, that treatment model has its place. But if the child's not having to maybe follow a directive or something like that, if they're being sort of given free reign in a playroom, it is true that a lot of the issues of parent is experience with them may not emerge or show up.
2: Right. And, you know, my other thought along this line is that if we are seeing the child alone and we have a child with a diagnosis, we're, we're kind of pathologizing their experience rather than seeing what the work is, which is that relationship. And by bringing the parent and child in together when it's appropriate we kind of remove that. Now we're looking at how is this child in relationship? How can we improve this relationship? And it also encourages the parent to start to reflect and do the work they need to do as part of that relationship. It's a, there are two parts to this.
1: So, Lori, that is such a good point. And when we um, do our in-home intensives that we do at Chata, we tell the parents, tell the children we're here for the whole family. The whole family needs help. Mom and dad need help. Sisters and brothers need help. You need help. Everybody needs help with the family getting along better or, or however we want to phrase it. But the idea that this is everybody here has a piece in this, I think, and having that family systems perspective rather than pathologizing the child that is like, such an important point that you bring up lori what about the parent and now you putting on your therapist hat and maybe this doesn't happen because of of how you're explaining to people that your practice or marketing your practice but i know some people come to me often therapists to say well i'm working with parents that just want to drop the child off and and then come back and pick them up or I've myself had parents who want the nanny to bring the child and there's not even a little chat before or after the appointment with the parent um, or in foster care you know we're going to have case case workers or or other people drive the child back and forth and there's just not not going to be inter- any interaction so there may be some therapists that are thinking oh well Laura you sound like you really want to be involved I agree I want parents parents involved, but they're saying, no, I don't want to be involved, and I think sometimes therapists feel like the message from the parents is fix the child and sort of leave me out of it here.
2: Well, and that's a really, really good question, and I think there's two different options there. One is to somehow engage the parent if we possibly can, and if it's appropriate. Sometimes it's not appropriate. Sometimes they're not available, you're right, sometimes the child is being brought in by a caseworker or other things. So then I think the focus changes a little bit. Um, while I can certainly make some some goals working with this child, we're we really working now on more reducing anxiety and giving the child some tools, some, some other things that we can work on. But I really think if we're doing true attachment work, then, then later there's going to need to be a, a second phase of this work um, in order to make that progress.
1: Looking here, you know, one of your points is uh, help, help us as we attempt to help our child. And before we go to a break, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the spirit of that statement that you made in the chapter that you wrote, uh, help us as we attempt to help our child. What was behind that?
2: So these points that I make are actually something that I now use as a promise to my parents when I begin working with them. I give them this list of things we're going to talk about next and I I tell them, hold me accountable to these promises. This is something I wanna do and um, the first one help me or help us as we attempt to help our child is that i'm coming alongside you as part of your team it's the parents and the child and the therapist coming along to help them i can't do in 45 minutes um, all that much but if i can be part of the team and together we can do this we can make real progress and so i just want to promise parents that very thing that that is the goal to come alongside them and help them. And then with the other points, we'll go into more details about what that looks like. But I want them to know that I'm coming along and that I'm on a team with them. it's It's not me saving their child. It's not me working with their child. It's me coming alongside them on their team as they attempt to help their child.
1: Well, Loy, that's wonderful. So you're sort of using it, this as your manifesto. <laughs> you're 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 saying I, I'm going to. Uh, practice what I preach and here's what I said folks need to do. So that's really great. Well, let's uh, move to a short break here as we'll move into part two of this podcast and some of the other really fantastic suggestions that you have for therapists to keep in mind.
0: This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Lori Thomas on the importance of therapy for foster and adoptive families. Part two will be released on Tuesday, September 3rd. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchatik.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.